Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jim Florentine rose to fame with his best-selling recordings, Terrorizing Telemarketers, and by voicing the wildly popular character Special Ed for Comedy Central's Crank Kickers. Florentine has won an Emmy for his work on HBO's Inside the NFL and had two Billboard Top 10 comedy albums within a single year. He used to co-host That Metal Show for VH1 and continues to host The Metal Midget Show on Ozzy's Boneyard channel on Sirius XM Radio. In 2016, he released two comedy specials, I'm Your Savior and A Simple Man. Now in 2018, he has a new book out, Everybody is Awful Except You. So let's get to it. So Jim Florentine, last things first, when was the last time you were happy enough that you temporarily forgot that everybody is awful? A lot of times. I, yeah. I can let it go pretty quick. Oh. Like, I've always said that, like, uh, you know, me and Jim Norton are really good friends, and me and Jim started out, we're doing a lot of comedy gigs and driving, and if someone cut Jim off, he would be miserable for like an hour. I'm like, dude, you got to let it go. Who cares? <laughs> be mad for him. And he goes, I can't. He would fucking be screaming, saying the worst stuff, you know, I hope mm-hmm. they die in a fire, all this stuff. And me, I, like, I, I, can, I can muster up the rage, and then I just let it go. Okay. So I, you know, I, I could see something. I go, is that about? Yeah, it does. All right, give me, give me a couple minutes, and then, I, and then I move on. So I don't always walk around angry, but I can, <laughs> But if, if you know, you, you know, there's certain words that trigger it. Well, that's good because, you know, people sometimes worry that comedians are always on, but it, it's worse if you're a rage comedian and you're always on because you don't, you can't live your life filled with rage. No, not at all. No, I mean. uh no, you definitely can't. You save it for the stage or whatever. Look, that, that's what a comic does. A comic finds something that's, you know, out there that they can go, okay, you know what? I, I see an angle where I can make fun of this. And it usually comes from anger. The bit usually comes from that. And right. then you just soften it up and present it on stage. You know, uh, I had Norton on my podcast, and he told me the story of uh, the time that you guys went out to the comedy store and finally got to meet your hero, Dice Clay. Yeah. And then it didn't go quite so well for, for you, meeting your hero? Yeah, because well, he, yeah, he was rude. I remember it was our first day ever in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It was, we were doing a Louis Anderson comedy showcase. He had a show on NBC, a right, stand-up right. show. So that was our, like our first, you know, so we were all excited. They flew us out there. When, when you guys did it, was it out on the pier or was it inside? Out on the pier. Okay. Yeah. It was inside, but it was at the pier. Though. Okay. Or whatever. Yeah. So, um... So they fly you out to do the show. They fly us out, and we're in a hotel, and someone, someone called us. Another com- Maybe it was Rich Voss was mm-hmm. out there at the same time, and he said, hey, you know, Dice is at the comedy store right now. We're like, holy shit. So we ran over there, and, and Voss was talking in the back of the comedy store, and I go, we got to get a picture, and we're just lurking around. And I just went up, hey, hey Dice, can I, can I get a picture? I'm a big fan. And he just looks at me and goes, no. <laughs> no. I'm not taking a picture with you. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm a big fan. He goes, so? He goes, nobody tells me what to do. And then he goes right back to talking to the boss, and me and Norton are standing there like, oh, man, what do we do? 
And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, he, you know, he's really intimidating. And mm-hmm. then I just go, I go, I'm going to give it one more shot. I waited mm-hmm. a couple minutes. I go, Dice, look, I'm a comic from New York. We're comics, man. We just, we're big fans. We just want to get a quick picture. Mm-hmm. And he just starts staring at me like an inch away from my face. And I'm like, oh, man, this guy's going to. He's like, yeah, you're a comic from New York. I'm like, yeah. And that guy there, too? I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, I'll take a picture. With you. Come on. <laughs> then we do end up doing like a whole photo shoot. And then we wind up hanging out with him and going on stage and doing his jokes in front of the crowd and all this stuff. So, and then we became friends with him from, th- from there. So you just had to let him know that you, uh, you weren't a regular person. Yeah, well, I, yeah, because I said, <laughs> I'm going to try. I got one other angle because I was going to walk away. I go, oh, man, I can't believe he was a dick. And I said, I'm going to give it one more shot because I don't know if I'm ever going to meet this guy or be close to him. You know, and um, I just gave it, and they, and they said, okay, fine. He said he always does that because he always had, especially back in the day, all these idiots coming up to him, right? you know, saying stupid stuff in front of his family and his kids and stuff. So he always just throws that out there so to walk away. Well, I asked because Dice was supposedly the guy that got you interested in comedy in the first place, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I saw, you know, I was always a big comedy fan. I remember, you know, as a kid, my brothers used to take, my older brothers would take me to movies and concerts, and they took me to Live at the Sunset Strip. I saw it in, in the movie theater, Richard oh, Pryor. Nice. You know, and I was like, holy shit, man, I was fascinated by that. And I was a big Rodney Dangerfield fan. You were only like 13 or 14 then. Yeah, at the time, yeah. Um, Rodney was, a, I loved Rodney and, you know, Carlin and all that stuff. And I was a big comedy fan, but I was just like, ah, I don't know. And I wanted to go in more music. Because I was a big music fan, mm-hmm. but I just didn't have the talent for it. And then when I saw, like, Kinnison bringing, like, bring, making it like a rock star mentality, and even Dice, too, right. with a leather jacket, I'm like, man, this is, this is pretty cool. <laughs> you know, and then I, I, it took me a while because I was really shy to get up on stage. Because I was always I was like, I, I, I don't want to work a day job. I'm okay. definitely not doing that. I was always good with, like, one-liners. I wasn't, a, you know, on all the time, but I was always a quick, you know, wise-ass. But you're... Your plan before comedy wasn't a traditional path. No, it definitely wasn't. I didn't go say I want to be a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be in a band, you know. But I just couldn't play any instruments. I was always around it. So then I was like a DJ on the radio, and I had my, you know, my own morning show. And then I was doing college radio and doing all that. So I was like, maybe I'll do that. I had my DJ business. I was DJing in rock clubs. And then you can hang around the rock bands and the metal bands, and yeah. So then, and it's then, almost then, as good as playing in one right but then but then when i got on the radio and i real i got a like a morning show in new jersey okay at like 22 years old you know doing a morning show i was getting paid shit but it still was pretty cool yeah and then i realized i couldn't say what i wanted to say i wasn't trying to be like howard stern or anything i was just cracking jokes in between the songs and they're like don't say that you might offend somebody i'm like this is a stupid joke <laughs> like no 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 don't, don't do that just do the time and the weather and and play you know Ario Speedwagon. i'm like this sucks <laughs> i don't want to do that and then, I, you know, when I saw Dice, I'm like, man, that's what I, I'm going to give that a shot. And once I did it once, I'm like, all right, I'm in. Where did you go that first time? The first time, I had a whole bunch of material written, but I was afraid to go on stage. You know, I was the DJ at a strip club, and I was a DJ at a rock club, so you really don't you know. You'd you have be, to write all sorts of patter for that. I had to write, but, but, that, but I wasn't really talking too much on the mic, and if I mm-hmm. was, nobody was focused on me. <laughs> So, because I was always afraid of public speaking, so I had about a you know nine months worth of material in a notebook. I went to, down to Florida with my girlfriend at the time for vacation. I brought my book. I said maybe I'll write this is, some stuff. This is the stuff that you later made a CD out of, right? Yeah, yeah. So I um, we're coming from the airport. I brought my book just so I maybe I'll do some writing. And mm-hmm. I saw open mic night Tuesday night. Sign up or whatever. I saw it at a place. I'm like, oh man. 
I want to. I might want to try that. She's like, really? On vacation? I'm like, well, let me just see what's going on over there. And I went over there. I go, yeah, come down Tuesday night. We'll give you five minutes. If you could bring people, that'd be great. And I knew a couple friends down there because I lived mm-hmm. down there for a little while. So I, the first time, so I went on. I ruined the whole vacation. She broke up with me afterwards because I was walking up and down the beach just practicing my lines. <laughs> I've never been on stage before. I was so worried mm-hmm. about that set. How long did it take after that first time to get back on stage? Like about two weeks later, because the house MC down there was a guy that would go down there in the wintertime because mm-hmm. his mom was old and he'd stay with her. Okay. And he was running an open, a, an open mic night like every Tuesday at this place in New Jersey, like 20 minutes from my house. They would do bands like acoustic guys and comedians mm-hmm. on a Tuesday night. And then Wednesday night, they had a regular comedy night. So I would go down there every Tuesday. He goes, dude, it's 10 minutes from your house. I do it every Tuesday. So I was going up every Tuesday at open mics. And then how long did it take? you to get further into the week the yeah, then eventually the started putting me on a wednesday but then but I was how, again, how long did that take was uh, it a year six months yeah probably years? about six months because mm-hmm. you know i lived in the area so i'd always bring people down so i'd pack the room you know and so that always helps with a that always helps so yeah they're like all right we'll put the shitty guy on you know <laughs> but then but he wanted to put me on later mm-hmm. because I, he didn't want my friends to leave and right. i'm following pros you know, and I'm getting, I'm up there, I'm bombing because it's like, you know, he's got the, you know, I got six minutes maybe. Yeah, I always like, I always like to tell people when they bring that stuff up that um, I lived in Arizona for a few years, and at the old Tempe Improv, uh, when Dan Murr was running the place, uh, he would hold an open mic once a month, but he would have the open mic after the regular show. Oh, so they would have a full show, the headliner would crush for an hour. And then the, the regular MC would come up and say, "Hey, there's actually more show." And then so, start, if you want to stay, if people want to yeah, stay, they could stay. If people want to stay, they could stay. And then just bring up open micer after open micer, and then you would actually hope to go up early before somebody eventually like kills the room. Yeah, that's, walks, that, walks that's tough because you just saw an hour and a half of pros. <laughs> that was a great room, by the way. That was one of my favorite rooms. Yeah. When, when was the first time you met Norton? You know, I was so. Um, this rock club that I was a DJ at. Mm-hmm. I was a strip club DJ, and I was DJing. At that, that, during the day, it was a strip club, and at night, it was a rock club. So I was DJing there, and there was a Monday night. They were doing nothing on Monday nights. So I go, hey, can I do, I'll do a, can I do an open mic night here? You know, just give me $100. I'll pay a headliner 100 bucks to come in on a Monday, and then I'll just get there's a bunch of open micers. And they go, okay, fine. It's your night. You can mm-hmm. do it. So he started coming down there because he lived in the area. Okay. So he heard about it. I was doing some other. There was some other. But you gig. didn't know him. And t- no, I didn't know him. I, you know, right before I started, I started booking that, and there was a local booker, and he had some other little shitty bar gig. And he brought Norton down because Norton was inter- was interested in doing comedy. He goes, mm-hmm. you got to see this guy, Jim. He's local. He's books a room. So and so Jim would sit. I remember Jim sitting in the front row at my shows. Like he stayed. He, I did a Friday and Saturday at this place. He came Friday. He came Saturday. He sat right in the front. And I was like, who? I, I would make fun of him on stage. Like, who is this weirdo? He came with his friend. I'm like, what? You're creep me out. And he just had that smirk on his face. Did he have hair then? No, you know, he had the crew cut. No, okay. he didn't have the hair. Right. And I'm just like, this weirdo. And then we started talking afterwards. And I go, yeah, I run this open mic. And mm-hmm. he started telling me about how he likes prostitutes. I'm like, I could probably hang out with this guy. <laughs> Not that I'm in the prostitutes, but he's so honest. I go, yeah, I'll come down on Monday mm-hmm. night. So that's how we became friends. Did it, did it happen, like, quickly that you guys became friends and ended up doing the ro- those road trips yeah, together? Yeah, we became friends quick. And then what happened was I would book, like, one headliner. So mm-hmm. Rich Voss or Bob Levy. 
and there was uh, a couple of the guys, this guy Dennis Ross. They had, you know, Voss and Levy were already headliners at the time. So they took a liking to me and Norton. So they took us on the road. They had all these clubs that they were playing, these one-nighters. They go, hey, we're going to bring this guy. He's new. Just pay him 25 bucks. He'll do 10 minutes up front. So we were working, like, within a year, we were working, like, three, four nights a week because they had all these connections. This other guy... Uh, Dennis Ross, he had all these rooms, mm-hmm. these little shitty one-nighters, and he took a liking to us, too. So he booked us in the rooms. These guys opened to 40 bucks. I'm like, okay. We drive three hours to make 25 bucks. We didn't huh. care. Uh, one of the things that's interesting about you and Norton is that you both have this... Um, both got in trouble with, like, drugs and alcohol young, and then, like, metal... Ba- like, in the, in the 80s, everybody talked about how metal bands were the, the worst thing ever for teenagers, and yet both of you cite metal bands as, like, something that helped you. Yeah, it did. The <laughs> music definitely did, man, because, you know, when you're, you're a comic... The, the exact you're... opposite of what people were... <laughs> congressmen were saying in the 1980s about No, it's true. Well, I know, that's bands. why we're like, no, we're, you know... Yeah, look, if you were in the metal and you're a comic, you're mm-hmm. pretty much a loner. You know what I mean? Like, you have a, a certain core of friends, but a lot of people are going to think you're weird. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you have that. I had those two things going for me. So it's basically, but the music always got you through stuff. You go back and listen to it. And like, ah, you know, I don't need to be at the cool party with all the, you know, you know, the, the football players and I stuff like that. Yeah, I could go listen to Ozzy on a Friday night and, and just listen to that album over and over again and drink a beer, smoke some weed. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> so I think that um, that definitely helped us. Helped us get through all of that stuff, yeah. Okay. And that's how we took, you know, because Norton was a big Dice fan, and Norton was a big, like, Black Sabbath fan. And those, I was, so we totally bonded over right. those two things. Now, in the meantime, you had already been doing prank phone calls for over a decade at that point, right? You said, in the book, you said you started when you were 11? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, we do. We, I was always, I went to Catholic school, so I was always grounded. I was always in trouble, mm-hmm. just causing problems. You know, I hated being in there. So my mom was always like, you got to stay in. You can't go out and play with your friends. So she'd be busy. There's seven kids. She'd be out doing stuff. With. So I'd just pick up the phone and just make prank phone calls constantly, all the time, because I was bored. Mm-hmm. I couldn't watch TV, so I'd just pick the phone up and just start mess- messing around with people. What was that? Do you remember what that moment was like the first time you did, decided to do it? Well, yeah, I remember there was this girl in seventh grade. Um, she she had like huge tits, mm-hmm. and we like way you for seventh for seventh grader full like. So your first call was somebody you knew. You we knew. It, Me and my buddy Tony were fascinated by her. We were like, like in love a with her. Pizza place? Or? No, just no. Just, so we we found a number in the phone book mm-hmm. and we called her. her. Name was Donna. I remember. And we go, hi. Uh, she picked up. I go, hello. And she's like, hi. I'm like, who's this? She's like, Don. I go, okay, this, uh, this is a national survey. Uh, what is your bra size? And she goes, what? I'm like, yeah, we're just, it's a national. We're just one. And she goes, this Jim and Tony? And she hung up the phone on us. And we're like, oh, shit. And the next day in school, she's like, you assholes. You know, that was like our first call. You didn't, you didn't disguise your voice? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I can't remember, but probably she busted us right away. Right, because she, she busted you right away. Yeah, yeah. And my voice pretty much sounded like this when I was in seventh grade. Uh, so when did, did you keep doing, like, people you knew? or did Yeah, you... people I knew or, yeah, order pizzas to the neighbor across the mm-hmm. street and watch him, you know, the guy come. And he's like, I don't have to, you know, get in a big argument over that stuff. And just silly stuff. I can't remember all of them, but we just, you know, are calling a friend and messing around and saying this is the principal and you're in trouble. You know, stuff like that. Did you know that that could be something before the Jerky Boys? Because 
The Tricky Boys was the fir- was the first thing that I heard. No, I had no clue. I wasn't like this was way before the Jerky Boys. Just right. a kid. No, I was just doing it just because I was a no. Ball that's buster. what. I'm, but right. I'm saying like once the Jerky Boys came out, did you realize? Oh, this is something you could actually. No, I didn't turn even think it then. I didn't think oh, it, no, no, because once I once I so, you know wasn't in trouble and being grounded all the time. I I started I stopped making prank calls. Okay. So then all of a sudden. Um, you know, I'm doing stand-up, and I'm barely making a living, whatever. And, you know, during the day, I would just, if I tell a marketer to call, I'd just try to keep him on the phone as long as possible. Because I didn't have a show till like, 9, 10 o'clock that night. i do the comedy cell at one fifteen. That was my first set. Right, the late. Right, so I'd stay out till like, 4 or 5 mm-hmm. in the morning. We'd all be busting balls. Yeah, and- that was back when they used the late show to... As their sort of semi, not open mic, but no, well, yeah, because the, the new for the, the comedy people. central. I mean, the comedy comedy cellar. The show started at nine p.m. and it would end at two a.m. It was one continuous show. Right, it's like what the, what the comedy store does now. Yeah, so people would come in and out all night. Yeah, you know what I mean. So we, I, you know, one fifteen, one ten was my spot. You know, whatever. So during the day, I had nothing. So I would a telemarketer would call. I try to keep him on the phone for forty five minutes an hour because I really wasn't doing anything else. Did you talk about that in your in your act, your telemarketer? No, stuff? no, no. I didn't even do that. I didn't even think it was funny. I was I was just amusing myself. So what was the what was the point when you decided to start recording it? Well, I, I so Don Jameson, a, a friend mm-hmm. of mine, um, I told him what I was doing with mm-hmm. them. He goes, "Next time, put me on three way. I want to hear this. It sounds really funny." He was a big Jerky Boys fan, a big okay. phone call fan. So I put him on three way with some call. I don't remember what it was. And he, we hang up, and he calls me back. He goes, "Dude, you're onto something. You got to start recording these. This is gold." I'm like, "You think?" He goes, "Yeah." I go, "I don't know. I find it." He goes, "I'm telling you, you're onto something." And then I just went into like a Radio Shack, and I bought a little recorder okay. for eighty bucks, and I hooked it up to my phone. It was an old school cassette. You just hit record and play, and I would just start recording the calls. Who whose idea was it to make that first record then? It was mine because I got enough where I started playing for my manager at the time. He goes, dude, this is fucking funny. And then I remember taking one of my calls. I said, I don't know. I still didn't think it was. Mm -hmm. And I remember I I brought one of the calls over to my mom's house. My grandmother was like 74 at the time, and my nephew was 10. And I played it for both of them, and I saw them both laughing. If I go, if I get a 74-year-old and a 10-year-old to laugh at the same thing, I'm on to something. Because there's no cursing. You can't curse. Right. With a telemarketer, they'll hang right up. So it, it, the, the calls right. were clean. You know, so, um, and then I just, I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And I put it out myself. But there wasn't a record label or anything like okay. that. Okay. You know. And would you, so you would sell it as merch? At yeah, the I just I, I put one out just so you know what I'm going to get my name out there. I'll sell a few after a show, whatever. I'll just you know see what happens with it. And then once I put it out there, um, Don knew Gary Delabate. He's a producer okay, over at the Stern, Stern show. Yeah, I was, and that's going to say how to get in Stern's hands. Yeah, so that's when um, Jackie J- Jokeman left the show. Now with the Stern show back in the day, if you weren't Kinnison, Dice, Richard Bell's, or the big comics, you weren't getting on the show. As an unknown comic coming up, a feature act at right. MC, whatever. But he left the show, and then they started having like all sorts of people, all, all comics in. come yeah, in. Yeah. yeah, guys that would have never got a shot. So at that time is right when my CD comes out. So we go meet to Gary, and Gary goes, "Okay, man, if it's funny, Howard will play it tomorrow." And well, he goes, "He'll play it. If it's funny, he'll play it. I can't guarantee anything." Meanwhile, I see a stack of like seventy-five <laughs> CDs on his desk. He's just blowing smoke on my ass. Right. Like, but at least he was nice. He's being polite about it. He was being polite. So I'm like, okay, fine. I don't think anything of it. The next morning, he starts playing my shit. 
I don't wake up till like eleven o'clock because I'm staying out till four <laughs> so in the morning. Right, so you don't listen to. And his he's broadcast. on from six to ten. Yeah, and I, I wake up and my phone has got like forty messages on it. I'm like, oh shit! I thought someone died in my family. Like, what? Did I and I was like, dude, pick it up, dude. Howard's playing your stuff. He's going crazy. He's laughing. Listen, oh my god, do you hear it? Get up. All of this stuff. And then within like two months, I'm on the show. He goes, we got to get this guy in here. Who is this guy? We need to get him in. And the guy was like, he's a comic. I kind of know him. I did an MC mm-hmm. to show, and I saw him. He's pretty funny. He goes, let's get this guy in here. And then within two, two months, I was on the show. How, how significant was that for your career? It was amazing. All right, so I'm, I'm featuring at the Funny Bone in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. 500 bucks for the week. They put you up in the condo. No travel, no nothing. So I drive out there. I'm doing it like every six months. Like like the episode of Louie you were in. Yeah. <laughs> the comedy condo. Exactly, yes. In the condo. Don't get a hotel room, a shitty condo. Yeah. You know, so, um, and now they I go in one time and they go, hey, we want Jim in three weeks on a Thursday and Friday, two days to sit in. So my manager calls the funny bone in Pittsburgh and goes, hey, book Jim as a headliner. And the guy goes, he's not a headliner. I was already headlining a little shitty B and C right. rooms. So I had my 45 minutes. I was ready. I was featuring. So he goes and, and headline him. He goes, he goes, uh, he goes, and give him $1,500 for the week. He goes, $1,500? He's $500 act. He goes, look, he's going on Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. He's on in Pittsburgh. He's going to he's gonna plug the gigs. Right. Your place is going to be packed. He goes, all right, fine. And he goes, and give him a bonus of $500 if he sells out a show. He goes, fine. He, uh, come on. You, he, he goes, all right. So 1500 five shows. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, cool. He plugs it for two days. I sold out every show. <laughs> So I made, what, $4,000. I never made more than, like, a grand in right. one weekend ever. And next thing I know, I, just, I walk home with a check with $4,000. Just from him plugging out the two days. Right. And now every market that Stern's on, they go, my manager will call, my agent. Hey, he's on in Dallas. Jim's on Howard Stern. Boom. Working this funny bone. Working this improv. All that, all, all that shit happened just because of that. Was that how Kimmel? Yeah, well, Kimmel heard YouTube? my shit. Kimmel and Carollo are big Stern fans. Mm-hmm. And then, look... First of all, there's never been a, a prank phone call show in the history of TV. So three months after Stern starts playing my stuff, I start going on the show. Kim and Carolla get the idea to do this crank anchor show, make prank calls. And they called the Stern show. And they go, who is that dude that does those characters on there? That, you know, is, mm-hmm. We love his prank calls. We want him on the show. And my manager tells me, he goes, hey, Kim and Carolla, want, they're, starting this new, they're guaranteed six episodes. They already got picked up for six before they even shot the pilot. Just because they were doing the man, man show at the time, so they were real popular. So we want to do this show, too. And I, I, so I they had go, the title and the concept, but no. They had all of that stuff. And my manager, you know, I mean... Were they already going to do it with puppets? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they already had the idea and all that stuff. And my manager... And the only thing I thought is, I go, all my comic friends are going to make fun of me that I'm on a prank phone call show where they're doing calls and making puppets. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking they're going to make fun of me. I go, I told my manager, he goes, are you crazy? This is for Comedy Central. I go, I know. I just picture him <laughs> what Jim Norton, Rich Voss, Patrice at the time right. were just going to bury me because I'm on this stupid show. I go, of course I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and I was the only unknown, if you, you know, from that show, like to get picked. Tracy, Tracy, Morgan, Tracy Morgan, Dave Chappelle, Sarah Silverman, Jimmy, Adam, Dane Cook was on the show. Uh, Dennis Leary did some calls the first couple seasons. So I was like the only unknown comic out there. And yet you're the one who's most associated with the show. Yeah, I mean, it, and the thing that went through the roof, which yeah. is insane. So when you're on stage with Eminem at the, at the MTV Video Music Awards, 
are you thinking like I wonder if if that 11-year-old girl could see me now or Oh yeah, Donna. Yeah, yeah, Donna with the big tits. Donna with the yeah, big tits. yeah. I mean, because I, I I went and rehearsed the the, the day before, mm-hmm. like the music awards. I you know that was the year. I don't know if you remember this. Remember when Madonna and Britney Spears yes. kissed? Okay, yeah. so I was at the a rehearsal because I had a rehearsal. And they were going on right after us. I saw them kiss in rehearsals. Like I watched. I'm like, holy shit, man! That was insane. I mean, just that. So we do the rehearsals. I remember that. So they didn't just pretend. In no, the they did it. Yeah, in rehearsal they did it too. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like fucking because they wanted to do it for cameras. They had to, oh, right. you know, okay. to catch it. Yeah. So I remember after rehearsal, I was the first. No, I no, I did meet him before, but I remember his manager comes up. He goes, Eminem wants you and Special at a dinner tonight. And there was only one the comedy set. There was only one special ed puppet that they had to bring in from California because that's where they did it. So they had to fly the puppet in to New York to do the music awards, and they had to bring the puppeteer, the guy that does special ed. He was right, from Atlanta, that's not you. so he flew in from Atlanta. Yeah, I just do the voice. I don't see any of that shit. Just give, do, just like we were talking about before. I don't do any tech stuff. I could do the voice. That's it. So they fly in a guy from Atlanta. He's there because he's mm-hmm. working the puppet. I'm doing the voice, all of the stuff under the podium. So I go, look, there's only one special ed. I can't, because he has to beat up special ed in the bit. I go, I can't bring him. Comedy Central will not let him out of his hands because there's only one of them. And he goes over to, he's telling him, and he goes, well, then Eminem wants you to come to dinner and do the special ed voice. I go, fine, I'll do it. I don't get, I'll sit on his lap. Uh huh. So I'm fucking sitting there with Eminem, and we're just messing around with the waiter the whole time. He's like, do that one, this and that, you know, so it was, it was insane. And then the next night, we're doing the music awards. <laughs> Did you did you think that at that point, like, if that was the the end of your career, that that would be fine? Or? Absolutely, yeah. I'm like, all right, look, if this is what I mean, I'm, if that's the peak, then if that's, that's the peak. That's yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got to the point where I was, you know, the, there was a they did the premiere, they had a, a premiere and a red carpet for the show, season mm. one at Caroline's in New York City. So that was the only time I ever met the puppet before that. So you took everyone took pictures next to their puppets. I did two puppets, but I took a picture next to Special Ed, right? So it's out online now. When I start, when comedy, when Crank Angus starts getting big, all the comedy, the funny bones, and the improvs, all these clubs take that picture off off of the website and start using that as my headshot. So now everyone thinks I'm coming with a puppet like Jeff Dunham. So I'm getting kids coming to my show at the Funny Bone, like waiting outside, waiting in line, like Mm -hmm. I'm going to do a puppet show for 45 minutes. (laughs) Meanwhile, I was just going to talk about it. I was like Chappelle. They were just yelling shit out from the show. I talk about it for like four or five minutes at the end, closing, Mm -hmm. and I'm getting all these young kids and these families coming to my show thinking it's a puppet, because they put the the big sign out front with this puppet Mm -hmm. and, and people are walking out of my shows I would lose like 20% of the crowd like where's the puppet like I remember some dude he was like 50 in the front he's like where's the pu-? two minutes in I'm doing my stand up where's the I go there's no puppet he goes I was in the picture I go I'll do the voice for you sir close your eyes you're a grown man let's suspend disbelief here how, how did you how did you work through that period it was tough because I'm telling they were just yelling shit out just, yay, you know, every little quotes from, from that special ed character. And I'm like, all right. I go, look, I can't do this the whole show. I go, I'm going to save it for the end. I go, I'm not, I go you, I'll do a little here, then I'm going to do stand-up, and then I'll do it again at the end. That's all I can tell you. Because it got to the point. I go, look, you think I'm going to open with that? I go, that's like, you know, journey open with don't stop believing. <laughs> They're not going to do that. I'm going to put it, it's on the encore. Right. 
But yeah, they would just be yelling. I go, oh, I get it, sir. Okay, okay. Can you know? And then I would just do it for a second and try to go back to my act. It was tough. But I, but I had a whole new audience that didn't even know I was a comic. Right. So I'm like, all right, I'll deal with this shit. Twenty percent of this crowd's probably not going to like my stand up, but I'm going to win some people over, and they're going to come back to see me. Which that's exactly what happened. Okay. Now I want to fast forward because there's a lot to get to. I remember seeing. I, I think this might have been the first time you workshopped your one one person show. At, yeah, uh, it was at the theater next to the Comedy Cellar. Yeah, I it did it might upstairs. Have been like six years ago. Yeah, but then you all, you only actually recorded it as a special a couple years ago. Well, because I had it on, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. I shot mm-hmm. it at the Comedy Central stage in L.A. Okay, where they do, and um, I had a copy of it. And I wasn't, you know. I, I wasn't sure exactly we were trying to sell it. Comedy Central was interested, but then they said it was too serious and we don't know if we could show, you know what I mean? Like that. I'm like, all right. So yeah, there's some serious moments in it, but whatever. There's some, some, so, you know, and then I eventually just wound up re-releasing it myself. Okay. Because I had it there. We were hoping to get a deal. We were hoping to do it up at the uh, Montreal Comedy Festival and and that fell through. So, you know, I filmed it and, you know, it's a piece that I wanted to do at the time. I went through a lot of shit and I figured, you know. I, I don't stand up where I'm just doing regular jokes. Let me try this. So that's why you you actually had that other stand up special ready to go that same year. Yeah, because the one man show was in the can. Right, and wow. I you know I was and, and it goes back to what I was talking about earlier as a kid, ten, twelve years old when I saw Richard Pryor live at the Sunset Strip, and you know I remember a bit when he was talking about getting burned and almost dying, and I'm like. And everyone's like, man. And then within a minute, he has to crowd back. Right. He's got in the palm of his hand. And I always, I always was fascinated by that. So I said, well, I one man show. I want to dig, you know, go get the crowd almost in tears right. and then try to get him back. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, t- it's a tough transition from suicide to. Laughter. It is. I know. And I'm reading, you know, basically, you know, the suicide note that she left me right. and all the, the thoughts I was going through my head at the time afterwards, like I wrote in a, you know, a journal. And I'm writing all the stuff, how angry I was, and all that stuff. I said, I'm just going to lay it all out there. So how did you decide to, to self-release the, the specials? You know, you all, you know, you, well, there's a little company that I that, um, use. Because the way the internet now is now, there's all these different platforms I know, because as long as you can get it in on iTunes, basically, mm-hmm. that's the main thing. If you get it on there, and then you get, you know, you just sign up for the stuff. I, but there's a company out of Atlanta that's a little company that released a lot of specials, okay. a lot of the Norton albums and stuff. They'll put it on, they'll get it on all the platforms. Okay. They'll get it on uh, iTunes and then uh, Spotify and all that and you know, and, that, and so once it's out there, that's basically where you have to go. If it's not on Netflix, you can always find the shit on iTunes. Right. And, you know, it's, it's almost at the point where it's better to own all your stuff. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Did you find that that was better than trying to sell it to Comedy Central or Showtime? Or? Well, the thing with Comedy Central, a lot of specials now, you know, they'll, they'll show it like once or twice and mm-hmm. then they don't show it anymore. And then no one can find it. You know, and, and then, you know, you get one lump sum and then they own that. You know, with all the royalties with, like, sound exchange now with comics, you know, especially with satellite radio and all the Internet and stuff like that and Pandora and yeah. YouTube, you know, all that stuff, every time they play it, whoever owns that is getting some of that money. That owns the master is getting that royalty to them. If you own it, you're going to get the the royalty as a performer and owning the master. So okay. you're going to get two royalties. So if you don't get a good deal, why why give it to somebody for, for $5,000? Let's say Comedy Central goes, hey, we'll take your special for five grand. Why give it? Because they, now they're going to own it forever. They could do whatever they want with that. Yeah, they can make money off that forever. We're sitting in the lobby of the building where SiriusXM is, and I know several comedians who aren't famous 
but they they get decent sized royalty checks because of the airplay on Sirius. It's unbelievable because satellite radio pays the most. Yeah. If they play that pays yourself. more than Pandora or Spotify. Yeah, and they got like five different channels, five different comedy right. channels. So you got a good chance of your stuff getting played. Now, what happened was they they pass it on the consumer. Like it's a, it's fifteen ninety nine a month for satellite radio, mm-hmm. but then they charge you one hundred and fifty dollars extra a year for the cover to royalties. So they got thirty one million subscribers paying one hundred and fifty dollars a year to cover all the royalties, and they they pay big. Now the thing is with the artists, YouTube doesn't pay shit. YouTube is ripping all the artists off, and that's why people like pissed at them. Like, hey, man, you're making a ton of money. Start paying up some royalties. Right. Spotify pays a little. They're getting better, but satellite is what pays. But eventually, they're all going to pay. You know, YouTube's just holding on, and eventually, they know they're going to have to cough up the money. You know, satellite radio was the same way. They weren't paying a lot in the beginning, and then now they have to. What What platform have you found that people have been most likely to find your latest stuff definitely on uh serious okay yeah on the comedy channels like raw dog yeah because there's a ton of people that listen to that stuff constantly you know they want it. so that's pretty much the place even though itunes is the big well itunes too yeah i mean that's good but you know um for buying it or renting it for buying it or rent yeah but i but i think you know i think the satellite radio really well, okay yeah and now with your with your book everybody's awful uh i have two main lines of questions for you one is um for someone who hates facebook so much i found three different profiles for you i got three different pages <laughs> and a fan page what? How do you, I, I figured you would have quit facebook and well, look, you, you're all over it. all i know is it's great for mm-hmm. advertising to plug your gigs mm-hmm. that's what i use it for okay i don't pl- i don't go on there to, to, to bitch about the weather mm-hmm. that it's 43 degrees on april 18th you know what I mean? But, you know, that, you know when I when I first started doing a telemarketer, I should get back to that real quick. Yeah. When Stern started playing my stuff, like the bandwidth that I needed on my website, I had to pay like oh, 600 right. bucks a month. That's the difference between Yeah, so when, when Facebook and MySpace and, and all this shit came out and it was free, I'm like, yeah. holy shit, this is free, and I could plug my shit. And so, so I, I went from like $600 a month to whatever, I don't know, whatever it is right. now, nothing basically. But when Facebook and all this other shit came out, I'm like, this is free. This right. is amazing. That's so, the yeah. same thing with you. That's why YouTube is so huge because you didn't have to host your videos right yeah so it's great so that so but you know i was on that metal show at the time when i when i hooked up for facebook the vh1 classic yeah vh1 classic now i have three different pages with like five thousand people and you can only have five thousand friends and you have to start another page so i didn't even start a fan page i didn't even know what a fucking fan (laughs) page was because i barely pay but i Mm. but i'll post my gigs what with that metal show it's huge like heavy metal is huge over in south america you know what I mean? Like over there. Mm-hmm. So I, most of my fans are from like Costa Rica that are on there. You know what I mean? Because like, oh, you're on that show because they would show it over there. Do they have comedy clubs down there? No. I went to Mexico. One, Mexico City. I mm-hmm. did a comedy show. How'd that and go? It was, I could have filmed an HBO special. We, we had an interpreter on stage, but mm-hmm. they got everything. And they were, going cra- they, were, they were laughing at the setups. I'm like, why did I not bring a, ca- a, a, a camera crew down here? Next time. Yeah, not, exactly. Uh, and then the other... The other- thing that I wanted to make sure I talked to you about was the fact that you know you, you wrote the book last year because it just came out this year and just in the last few weeks public perception of Facebook has finally turned so people a lot more people hate Facebook now 
Yeah. No, I know. I, I was on that from day one. I'm like, you don't think they're stealing everything? You don't think they know everything? You don't think every one of your You were ahead of the curve on hating yeah, yeah, Facebook. Yeah, of course. Look, my brother does my taxes. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even want to send him a text message or an email the other day about, hey, man, I got a couple of things I want to talk to you about just in case. I go, that's going to come back. If I ever get investigated by IRS, they're going to have all my t- – who knows right. if they're going to go all back and get my text. Yeah, and go, yeah. wait a minute. So you said that you weren't going to pay – you didn't want to pay this? <laughs> really? So I went to his house. I drove to his house. Like I'm in the mob. We took a walk. <laughs> Do you think social media is good or bad for comedy at this point? Uh, um, you know, you could take it two ways. You know, if you're going to look at everything that someone writes about you, if you're going to put a tweet out mm-hmm. and it, it's a joke that people don't get and they go, yo, you're awful. How are you a comedian? I'm fun. And you're going to take that shit personally. It's terrible because you're going to spend all that time on that wondering about all that shit, you know, because you're getting instant feedback and people that don't follow you that aren't necessarily comedy fans. Just don't get the joke. They're not in a comedy club, so you got to deal with that shit. But then, uh, then again, it's a great place to get news, get you know, material for your act, some shit that's going on that you want to talk about. It's right there on your phone, so that's great for that. But and then it's great to plug your stuff as a comic. You know what I mean? Get you know, plugging your shit on on all those different platforms. It's great. You know, it gets asses in the seat. It helps comedy. Look, if you think about a comedy is bigger than it's ever been. In the right. last, like, three or four How many comics are doing Madison Square Garden? Probably ten. Uh, and before that, there were only three who Eddie had done Murphy, it. Eddie Murphy, Dice, and, Dane, yeah. and then Dane Cook. Yeah, yeah. We're, like, the only ones. So now you got, like, ten different comics selling out the garden. You know, so so it, comedy's just huge. You know, and you can have your own base and nobody even knows who you are. Like, Bill Byrne and Rogan could basically walk down the street and not a lot of people know them. You know, which is great. But meanwhile, they're selling out everywhere. Right. And which is great for, you know, because unless you want that attention, I don't think Bill Burr wants TMZ outside of his house. <laughs> you know what I mean? When he's taking his kid to the pediatrician. You know, Some days I don't think Bill Burr even wants to be outside of his own house. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? But so it's great for mm-hmm. comics. Right. Like, I love it, too. I, I live in Jersey. I live right. in a, I got a kid. I'm at the baseball. Like, and, and right. nobody knows who you are because it's so. But you have your fan base. When I go to an ACDC concert, forget it. I'm like, I get mobbed. Mm-hmm. I get mobbed like I'm, I'm like I'm Brad Pitt <laughs> in that in that setting. But when I'm in Whole Foods, right. nobody even knows who I am. <laughs> well, I'll be sure to keep an extra eye out next time I'm in Whole Foods. I'm t- no, and it's great though. But when I'm at ACDC, I'm like, oh, but I you wear might a hat. have seen this next comedian at Whole Foods. <laughs> I gotta wear a hat. I gotta wear a disguise. <laughs> I don't want to talk because they. they Do you, you know, actually wear a disguise? To to I used to. I used to because you get bothered so much, mm-hmm. especially when that metal show was on the air. That's right. that's the only people that watch that show are in that venue, right. seeing Van Halen or wherever it is, or you know. So yeah, you get mobbed like a celebrity. Like, you couldn't even watch the show. People coming up, taking pictures. I'm with my kid. I'm like, look, I'm with my kid. Oh, come on, I got a picture. Dude, why don't you fucking get uh, Eddie Van Halen on the show? <laughs> You've turned into dice. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I am. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you want to take a picture? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, thank you so much for sitting with me. I really appreciate I appreciate, appreciate it. that, man. Thank you. All right. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. 
I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.